At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. Good morning, Woodside Lake Orion. How are you today? Good. It's so great to see you. I am a little bit more mobile than normative, but uh, if I'm hobbling, this is your first time here. Uh, it's, uh, I had an injury a couple months ago, and I'm finally able to walk about a little bit. It's not a boot or anything. I feel like Pinocchio. There are no strings to hold me down anymore, and feeling free and lively. And uh, I'm excited to open up God's Word with you today. If you want to turn to James chapter 2, that's where we're going to be this morning as we open up and kind of finish up our series on the book of James. We've been tracking for the last number of months, um, looking at living faith in the book of James. What does that look like for us in everyday life? And I love the book of James uh, in a lot of different ways. It's very practical. It's probably one of the most practical books in all of Scripture. And James, kind of being a wisdom teacher, uh, is expounding what I believe on much of the teachings of Jesus on how we can actually live in real time. How we can live out our faith, faith in action, even as we'll see Today, living faith, not just declarative faith, but living functional everyday faith. And um, as we finish, this is where we're going to end our series at the end of chapter two. Uh, we come to a, an amazing passage, somewhat controversial in some ways, but not really when you really think about the practicalities of it. And I'm, I'm excited to open up and look at it with you. And as I was preparing today, uh, for today, excuse me, I was reminded of those times, anybody else been there before? When you're at a grocery store, you pay with a $100 bill. It's not often in my life, but occasionally. And what do they do oftentimes when you give them that bill? They hold it up in the light. They're trying to see this little strip that is inside of the bill, or they have these special markers that they run along it because they want to make sure what? It's authentic, that it's real. That it's not a counterfeit. Because easily people can print off money as counterfeits. But man, that would be the demise of our uh, finances if you could just print them out. So the, the U.S. does and all uh, nations do an amazing job of trying to make it to where you can see the authentic. You can make sure it's real. You can look at it and be like, man, this is a true, genuine $100 bill and not just a piece of paper. Maybe you've been hoodwinked before. Someone paid you cash for something, and it was not authentic. And it's amazing when you look at the section of James, because James is doing somewhat of the same thing for us in our lives regarding faith, like that we would have genuine faith in our lives. And James poses this really important question, this question that you find at the very beginning of his text, and he says, can that that faith save you? So the fact that James is actually opening up with a question saying, can that faith save you? In that same motion, he is showing us that there can be different types of faith. One authentic and one unauthentic. One that is not necessarily real. One that's genuine. One that saves, but one that is not genuine. Like a counterfeit bill, there's a faith that appears genuine. But at the heart matter, it's actually false. And James is picking up the idea 
of what Jesus shared with his disciples. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture, I think one of the most formative in all of our practical living as followers of Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount. When you go to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I've spent an entire year studying this passage before, and there is deep and profound truths as to how we are to live. And Jesus says this famous passage, I think it's the most scary passage in all of Scripture. Truly, when James says in, in James, uh, excuse me, when Matthew says, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now that's formative to even what we're going to talk about, what he just said there, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast down demons in your name? And do many works in your name? I mean, anybody else here cast a demon out before? Anyone else here prophesied in his name? Sure. Some of you may. And he's saying like, man, there's going to be people that have this exterior veneer that looks like they're followers of Jesus. They even do powerful works in my name. And look what Jesus' response back. And this is the thing that should set us in our place for the rest of the text as we evaluate what the Lord has for us in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Scary words. You workers of lawlessness. That's, you're like, man, this is going to be a fun sermon today. Yeah, buckle up. This is good stuff. James, I believe, is also expounding on these types of texts. And he says in our passage for us, yes, this might be one of the hardest truths, what Jesus says here, because it reminds us that someone can claim to have faith in Jesus and actually, that doesn't mean that they actually do just because they claim it. That there's a difference between A false faith that leads to death and a genuine faith that leads to salvation. But the question we have to wrestle with today, I want you to wrestle with, I wrestle with myself, is what is genuine faith? And what what does genuine faith look like? How do you compare it to false faith? How do I know that I have it? How do I hold up a $20 or $100 bill called faith and know that it's actually real? I'm glad you asked. James poses this amazing faith look for us, that we might be able to look at the good news of the gospel for us. And what I want you to see today from our text is that genuine faith is revealed through actions. Now already, you might be sitting here and be like, okay, but genuine faith, when we look at scripture, is always revealed in actions. Even in the passage that I just read from Jesus, he says, no, but the one who does the will of the Father. Did you read there? anything about the one who prayed a prayer when they were seven years old. I'm not saying that's negative, that's wrong, that's good as we place our faith in Jesus. But what we're going to see is that genuine faith, the faith that you declared the moment you prayed that prayer when you're seven or 10 or 15 or 45 or just the other day, is that it's revealed, that it's brought to completion, that that it's shown true through action. That's the key revealed through action. That it's not brought about by action. It's not, it's not confirmed for you. It's not, it's not brought to life. It's that it's revealed through action. And so we look at this with James. As he wants his audience, as it's going to be read, this book would have been 
around to many different churches, he wants them to know this, that your genuine faith will be revealed by your actions. Now, some of us, I'll just tell you right now, don't like that, including myself. It sometimes sits uneasy, like, well, my actions aren't very good right now. I'm like, okay, that's why we're preaching today. That's why I preach to myself. That this is the reality of the truth of the word of God. Would I, I would say it's the reality of the entire Sermon on the Mount is that God, Jesus is saying in the kingdom of God, there is not a double person. That he is preaching to holistic beings from heart to hands. Someone would be the same being, holistic. They believe in their heart with the Lord. Their actions on the exterior are, are the same. And Jesus is saying that. Now James is, is declaring that here through the book of James, in a famous passage, you know well. So just look at it with me. We're going to start in verse 14. It'll be on the screen. There's Bibles also in the back of your chair, so you can use your iPhone or whatever. But James chapter 2, start in verse 14. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? He poses the question. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things needed... For the body, what good is that? So also, also, faith without, or excuse me, faith by itself, it does not save. Sorry, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Pretty strong language. And you see here from the beginning that, that James is saying that faith without actions is dead. That's pretty clear. I didn't make that up. It didn't take a long time for me to get that out of the text. It's a faith without works is, is, is dead. And he's continuing to expound about what he's been teaching for the, the previous while he's been looking at what true religion is, right? Remember, he says true religion is caring for widows and orphans in their distress. Last week, Josh, our kids director, did an amazing job. Part of my job is to visit some of the other campuses that, that I help oversee. So I was at the Lapeer campus uh, with them, worshiping with them. It was great. And Josh brought a word last week about partiality, Right? That we, we elevate individuals because they have status or they're rich or they're wealthy. And that might look different for us today. But he's saying this is what true religion looks like practically. And today he's continuing in that vein about what true religion looks like. And he says that if our practical way of living is not got a heart that has a love for those beneath us or in poverty, brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a disconnect between our faith and our works. The practicality. And he says, what good is it? It's amazing that he poses this question. And he's opening it up for dialogue because he knows people that will read it will have objections. And so he's engaging those objections. He says, what good is it? And then he goes, clarifies. So the central question he really wants to ask is, can that faith save them? And he's expecting an answer. And the answer is emphatically what he's trying to show. No, it, it actually can't. And he gives this amazing illustration about someone who's in need or poor in verses 15 and 16. And the picture is this, that someone here, maybe that you know, as you're a part of this body, as our elder Ben has already shared, you're a part of this body and someone around you, you know, is in need of food, practical things or clothing. And you have the, the practical resources to meet that need for them. And when they share that with you, or you uh, understand that or know that, and you look at them and be like, I pray a prayer of blessing over you, be warm and well-fed and then leave. Do you see what James is trying to do here? 
He's saying, that doesn't make sense. How can you tell someone to be warm and well-fed and you gave them nothing to be warm or filled? How can you, he's saying, in a way, how can you pray a prayer of blessing on someone at the same time having the resources to bless them and not bless them? He's saying it's, it doesn't make sense. He's saying that the reality of what we say we believe is not what we say, it's how we live. He's starting to show that. I learned a long time ago that what you believe is not what you say, it's what you do. You could say you believe in a lot of things, but when you functionally look at your life day in and day out, I'll tell you what you believe. I'll tell you what you believe the most in. I'll tell you what you have your most faith in. I'll tell you that what you worship the most, and myself included. And that is what he's portraying here. And you know, there's been this pendulum within Christianity. There's a pendulum that always swings back and forth. I talked a little bit about a couple of weeks ago on a different subject. And you know, the pendulum is always like, no, uh, faith is by, or excuse me, salvation is by faith alone. And I'm not discrediting that. I will prove that from scripture today. Yes, it is. But we're so much on the fact that faith or, or salvation in Christ is by faith alone, we discredit everything over here that even comes close to us thinking that works has anything to do it. And I'll say from the onset, faith in Christ, salvation in Christ is by faith, by the grace of God alone. That is it. Just so no one's misunderstood that I'm preaching heresy or anything like that. But we've been so swung this way that we now have generations of people that say, I believed in Christ when I was 10, but yet my life has shown nothing of following Jesus for 30 years, and I still believe that I'm following Jesus. That doesn't make sense, James says, right? To be a follower of Jesus means that I what? Follow Jesus. That I live like Jesus. Not perfect, because I have Jesus' life who lived perfectly. But I am struggling through life with the work and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the covering of the blood of Jesus to become more and more like Jesus every single day. That it is through faith, but that faith is genuinely proven, shown true by our Works. And this is what Jesus, or excuse me, James is saying. He says, it's absurdity. He's saying to claim to have faith that doesn't result in any tangible action in our lives is absurd, it's illogical, and it's hypocritical. It's false. It's not real. And he, he poses this question, what good is it? And he answers his own question. He says it's effectively useless. It's dead. He's saying faith that doesn't result in life change in our lives is lifeless. It's completely useless. He's saying that it doesn't work that way. Um, I was reminded, I was reminded about this while I was preparing. Um, uh, about three years ago, I bought my first ever brand new car. I'd never had a new car in my entire life. I bought a Jeep Wrangler. I've always had a Jeep when I was in college. It got stolen. I'll tell you that story sometime. Some of you heard it. When I was in college by a, a girl at a gas station, 
always wanted a Jeep Wrangler again, so I bought a, a new Jeep about three years ago. And I don't know about you, when you get a new car, you don't want to do anything to it, especially when you have young children. They can't ride in it. I mean, they're going to go to the bathroom in the back seat. They're going to spill food. They're going to do something. And so I was like super sensitive about my Jeep and so never wanted to do anything. I just wanted to look cool. But if you know anything about being uh, about a Jeep, is that's not the intention of a Jeep, right? Like it's a Jeep. It's meant to get dirty and muddy and go off-roading and scrapes and nicks. And I, I was like, man, I don't want to do anything to my Jeep. I just want it to look pretty and sit there, and it would be great, right? And then last year, uh, when I was off on my sabbatical, my family went out west for almost an entire month, and we lived in our Jeep. You ever lived in a car with children? Like, my car went down, like, half value last summer just because. You're driving in the car that long. And it dawned on me, like, what am I doing so we're on west, and I took it off-roading, and we just scraped the bottom with rocks, and like my kids threw food everywhere for a month in the back seat, and it was amazing. Like we actually used the car the way it was intended to be used. It wasn't just some trinket to sit in my driveway. And I'll tell you, oftentimes that's what our faith looks like. It's like a car with no engine. Can we get in and go for a ride? No, it's just there to look at. It's something we hang on the wall that we, we believe in, but it doesn't take, any, take us anywhere. It doesn't look any different. It doesn't bring us forward in our following of Jesus. It's just something there, and we like the idea of it. Sure, we, we believe in it, but there's no action to it. And James is saying that faith with no action is dead faith. Now I'll get to the, the end of where I want you to land with that in a couple of minutes, but he goes on to the, to the opposite side of it. If you look with me in verses 18, he says, faith with actions alive. It's pretty easy, straightforward in, in the reading of this text. What does it say in verse 18? But someone will say, you have faith. So he's, he's, he's understanding there's going to be objections to what he's saying. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you, want me to, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That sounds odd. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from the works, from works is dead. Faith with action is alive. We'll get there in a moment, but it seems like some of this is at odds with what the Apostle Paul preaches throughout the Word of God. But in verse 18, James kind of returns to this dialogue of those people that might challenge what he's actually saying. And for his opponents, he, he's saying that faith can't be separated from works. And he's saying that there will be people that will look back and say, no, we see faith and works as two separate things within the Christian life. But James is saying this simply cannot be the, say, the, the, the case, that they're interconnected. And what he's showing us, what he's revealing to us, is that faith 
is revealed, what I've been saying this whole time, it is brought to life or is demonstrated by the outpouring of the works of an individual. And therefore, they cannot be separated. And he gives a couple of amazing illustrations, some of which you might read over quickly. The first one I think you might read over quickly if you just read it. First, he, he, he kind of brings an illustration that highlights the inadequacy of simply doctrinal or confession or intellectual faith. That is just all just like, yes, I believe in that. He's saying that this can't be. If you just say, yes, I believe in that, and there's no other parts. He's saying that that can't be so. And he uses this amazing passage. You don't think he's using the passage, but he does. When he says in the text, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. And he's commending them like, hey, you're doing pretty good. You actually believe that God is one. And what he's doing there is more than what you think. There's a famous passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. It was called the Shema. Israelites would have read this or prayed this at least once a day, every single day. And so they instantly know what he's talking about when it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And so what he's saying is, you believe God is one, well done. And in a moment, it looks like he's, he's commending them, like they're doing this amazing job. But then he flips the table over on them when he says, well, that's interesting. That's awesome. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. Do you see his point? He's speaking out against just simply doctrinal or confessional or intellectual faith that has nothing else. He's saying at the end of the day, just because you know the truths of God does not mean you have genuine faith. For even demons know the truths of God and they're still condemned. He's saying when faith does not result in action, it's like demonic faith. It knows the truth, but it doesn't actually believe the truth. It's heavy. He's saying that faith with no action, just a mental assent, you are essentially, we, myself, People are in the same camp as demons. They know the right answers, but that's what they know. The right answers. There's, there's no difference about them. And then he uses these amazing illustrations um, of Abraham and Rahab. And the, Abraham would have been huge for them. It would have been the foremost, largest patriarch of their faith. Abraham, who was the father, Right? And he says that Abraham believed God and it was declared for him to be righteous. But he was willing, what they said is he's willing to show his faith. What does it say in verse 22? You see that faith was active along, sorry, in verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac? Now, you can go back and read the story. It's a fascinating story. That God comes to Abraham and the background is quite fascinating. God promised Abraham that he have a child, even though his wife was barren. She was really old. And God said, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. You're going to have as many children as the stars. Abraham's like, that's really hard to believe until God brings about a son named Isaac, the, Isaac, the promised child who would have thought never would have come. And God promised to bless the world through that son. And then God says, I want you to kill that son. Well, what? But it says that Isaac believed God and he took his son. 
the next morning, early. He didn't wait. He didn't hesitate. He got on the hill. He hiked to the top. He made an altar. He put his son on the altar. He was ready to sacrifice his son at the word of God. His actions proved that he believed God. When you read in Hebrews, in the hall of faith about Abraham, what does it say? It says that he believed God would raise his son from the dead after he murdered him. He's saying that his faith was realized, that it was completed, that it was shown true because he believed God and he took action on the obedience of God. It wasn't just something that he said, yes, I believe you, God. No. And in turn, it says that Abraham was declared righteous. This is a, a term, like in a, a law term, that he was declared. And in that moment, not only that, he moved past into a friendship relationship with God, that God dealt with him legally, declaring him righteous, but then he dealt with him personally, engaging him in friendship. That's exactly what the Lord did with us. But when you place your faith in Jesus, God declared you righteous that day. Then as we live life, it shows true whether or not we truly trusted in Christ. Our actions prove the genuineness of our faith. And here's where we wade into, and I don't have a ton of time to go into it, but wade into the challenging part of the text. The challenging part of the text is that it seems like verse 24 is at odds with other biblical teaching. Right? For instance, I'll just give you one quick example. The Apostle Paul utilizes the same passage, Genesis 15, 6, and declares in Romans 4 and Galatians 3 that we are saved through faith alone. It's interesting. So is James contradicting Paul and the teachings of Paul? The short answer is no. He's not. He's definitely not. He, he's just simply expounding on the fact of what justification really looks like. You know, I don't want to speak over people either, people watching online. Justification, maybe you've heard it this way before, that it's just as if you've never sinned, that you've been declared righteousness. I would say that's good, but that's not whole. It's not enough. Justification is that I had a huge debt, say I own my home, and it's, it's, it's completely mortgaged. And maybe it's probably way more than that. It's not good enough. I have millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in debt that I will never pay off in this lifetime. And someone comes along, some generous person, and pays off all of my debt. It's just as if I never had debt. But justification is more than that. It's not just as if I never had any sin. It's also that God also filled my bank account with an endless supply of money called the grace of God. So I have been forgiven of all of my past, present, and future sin. At the same time, I've been given the grace of God that will last for all of eternity. My bank account went from all debt to all grace in a moment. The apostle Paul says that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus in a moment, that happens. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It causes me to lift my hands and declare who Jesus is in this place and live in light of that eternity. But what James is saying is that it's not just a mental ascent. It's a heart matter, which proves through our heart with our hands. I'll show you to you this way. I don't think James and Paul are at odds because you know the passage, if you've been around Christianity long, James, or excuse me, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Famous passage, people know it well. 
They usually stop there though. For by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work. So it seems like it's an opposition of what James is saying so that no one can boast. And we stop there and we put that on t-shirts and, 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 and all kinds of things. We don't read the next verse in verse 10. Verse 10, what is it? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So when I walk in the good works that the Lord has prepared for me to walk in ahead of time, when I walk in obedience, it shows that I was saved by grace through faith alone. That's what James is saying. He's not in opposition with Paul. He is tracking with Paul. He is bringing our justification to a level of proving, showing. He goes on, he talks about Rahab. Same idea. Her story in Joshua 2, if you want to read it sometime, is the exact opposite of Abraham. Abraham was a wealthy, moral man, father of the Jewish nation and a major figure in his society. At the same time, Rahab was probably a poor girl, a prostitute, a female, an outcast to the Canaanite nation, and a minor figure in society. But Rahab becomes an incredible example of faith, and you might not know it, but James is utilizing this technique in literature where you contrast two parts and at the same time you give an example of the whole. So what he's saying is, is by using Abraham in contrast with, with Rahab, James is highlighting that all of those who lived in faith in the Old Testament demonstrated that faith through actions. It's like saying, I searched high and low. He's given an example from the highest of highs in Abraham to the lowest of lows in, in Rahab. They showed their faith through their actions. If you go back and I have time today, read in Hebrews chapter 11. It starts out with the explanation of faith, and then it gives all the examples of faith. It says, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Rahab did this. It didn't say, by faith, Abraham prayed a prayer when he was 12. By faith, Rahab prayed a prayer when she was 11. It said, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Abraham hid spies, and it was accounted to her for righteousness. He's not saying it's that by works were saved. It's that they proved that they actually had faith in Christ. This is what, he is saying all along. And this reality informs us in this final illustration in verse 26. Like a body without a spirit is dead, so faith without action is dead. I don't know if you've gotten the point yet. The point is pretty clear in the text from James. That separating faith and works is like separating your soul from your body. Your spirit from your body. It's an impossibility because when that happens, I die. And he's saying that that is what it's like to live with faith without action. And James is connecting this for us to evaluate our own faith. Can I tell you, James is not here to tell you today that faith must have action to it so that we can be self-righteous and judge the person next to us. Like, oh my word, I saw the way that they were living. They must not have real faith. No, that is not. That's the opposite 
No, no, he's saying it that we might evaluate ourselves. So like when we buy a car, we look at it, we look under the hood. When we buy a house, we get an inspection. When when someone gives us a $100 bill, we want to make sure it's authentic and real. In the same way, James is saying here, he wants us so that we're not stuck with a counterfeit bill or a lemon car. He wants us to have a real faith, deep faith, that is found in Jesus, following Jesus in real life, walking with God. When you look at your own faith, what does it show you? To be abundantly clear, no matter where someone jumped in on our feed, we are saved by faith alone. It is nothing that we have done to earn our salvation. It's not by works. We're justified through faith and faith alone by the grace of God, but genuine faith that is through faith and by grace alone is revealed through the way we live, through action. So I ask you before you leave today, before we go about or you go eat at a restaurant or you go back to work tomorrow, what are the actions of your life revealing about your faith? What do they reveal? Please don't leave this place today thinking that now you have to change the way you're living so that you show that you have faith. That would be, that would be horrible. And maybe you're here today and today's the first time it was not authentic faith. I am not here to to make people leave with their head down or condemn anyone. Every part of our faith is between you and the Lord and ultimately where you are with Jesus. But I I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't challenge us to evaluate our own heart and soul, to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, to see what type of faith is functioning in my life. Don't leave this place feeling condemned. Leave this place knowing that you have salvation through faith, by grace alone, and live in that reality. Walk in that reality. Function in that reality. But if you're here today or watching online and you're realizing today, like, man, I've been doing a bunch of stuff for God and I haven't ever placed my faith in Christ. Today there's good news. We celebrate and we worship a God who we just sang about that lived the perfect life so you don't have to live perfect that lived the amazing life, that died for you so that we could just simply place our faith and trust in him. And then walk in his footsteps, track with him, follow him. Today, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, really, today, I would be more happy to help you walk through that process of what it looks like, praying right now in your own seat, placing your faith and trust, pushing all in. God, I'm with you. I'm believing nothing that I can do can save me. I'm believing that no amount of giving or serving or serving the poor or doing anything else can save me. Only you can, God. And I'm placing all of my faith and trust in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the grave for me. And I'm all in, God. Today you'll be saved and then you can walk with him tomorrow. I got to imagine there's a lot of us in this room that already know Jesus. And the amazing part about faith, the faith journey is that it's a journey. I don't know if you've ever been on a journey before. It's not always highs. Sometimes there's lows. 
And can I tell you, if you're in a low part and you'd say, man, I look at my life, Jim, and it doesn't look real pretty when I evaluate it right now. I've gone through a season, maybe the season's a month, maybe the season's six months, maybe the season's a year. I've been going through a journey. I truly believe I place my faith and trust in Jesus. And I've walked with him for a very long time, but I've just been in a season. Can I tell you, God loves you in this season where you've been struggling just as much as he loves you when you're doing good, following, walking, tracking with him. And today, the amazing thing about it, justification is that he forgave all of your wrongdoing, past, present, and future, and he gave you grace, all of your wrongdoing from past, present, and future, and the grace of God is there to meet you today. May we just do the hard work, the soul work of looking and evaluating our hearts and lives to see what it reveals about how we're living. And even so, even maybe stand now and I'll pray. If you would stand, I'll invite the band to come out. We're going to sing a song, The Stand, that I'll stand with my arms high and heart abandoned to you, Lord. And maybe today that's not where you're at. You're not tracking with that, but may you respond today in whatever way the Holy Spirit is wooing and speaking to you. And maybe it's just sitting today being like, Lord, I don't, I want to evaluate where I'm at. I don't know if I can just stand here and lift my hands and, and pray to you, Lord. But today I want to start there. And may it be the prayer of our heart that God today, no matter where I am, I want to be a follower of you, Lord, that is not just a mental ascent of belief and faith, but it's a journey of walking and walking with you in action today, Lord. And I respond now even as we sing. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the few moments we have together to open your word, to look at scripture, to see how it doesn't change our hearts and our lives. And God, I just, I love James, how practical it is, how it just speaks right to our heart and our lives that there are so many of us, even not our whole lives, we get into ruts of just not tracking with you, having a faith that yes, we, we say we have, but our lives, when we look at them, are not following suit. And may this just be a reminder today for us to get back on track, like the rumble strips on the side of the expressway, when we're starting to go off track, that it would bring us back to the middle of tracking with you, following you in obedience. Because faith, my faith, our faith, is dead without action, living action. Take us there, Lord. Help everyone in this room to know, everyone watching online to know that today, no matter where they find themselves, there is grace for them. So if it's the first time today that someone is placing their faith and trust in you for real and asking to go on a journey of a lifelong journey with you, then God, find that. May they find today there's grace for them. If there's many of us in this room that have walked through different seasons and we haven't been tracking with you, know that there is grace. Help us to know there's grace there for us. And may our faith be shown genuine by the way we live as we follow after you. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.